HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd with my monthly book review segment. Today I'm welcoming Kirsten Jackson, author of It's Not You, It's Brie, The Unwrapping of America's Unique Culture of Cheese. Hello, Kirsten. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Uh, Kirsten is a wine and cheese writer mm-hmm. with both, uh, has been published in the LA Times and Edible East Bay, among other uh, publications. And she's an educator at the Cheese School of San Francisco. And she formerly worked as a cheesemonger at the pasta shop, correct? I did, yes. All those are very true. Is that, it? was that one of your first cheese experiences? At the pasta shop? Yeah. Uh, it was. You know, I went to culinary school right after high school and was kind of in all the classes that we took. I was really blown away by the, the day or two we spent just eating vast amounts of cheese and, and talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that that was probably my first like, really breaking down the cheese experience. Um, mm-hmm. As a child, my parents actually took me on a lot of trips around Northern California dairy country, though, so that was probably my first um, my first experience there. But, yeah, as far as jobs, I think the pasta shop job and then um, working a little bit in restaurants and being responsible for the cheese plates there would be mm-hmm. the best part. Your, your introduction to the world of cheese. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Now, first of all, about your book, uh, 
Where did you come up with the adorable title? Was it first a title of your <laughs> blog, or how did you come up with that play on words? Yes, it was first the title of my blog. And um, what actually happened was that I wanted to start a cheese blog. I was writing a wine and food pairing blog for a while, and then I realized I was just doing that at work all day. And then all that I really wanted to talk about after a certain point was cheese and wine on my blog. So I mm-hmm. thought I should I should take that in its own direction. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a brainstorming session with the guys that I work with. And so we just sat around for about an hour one day at work and we were just coming up with different names. And this was one of the ones that all of us really, really liked the most. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's funny. I I think it's funny because it also is, you know, how you can fall in love with cheese, date it, break up with it. It, you know, it it goes with that, too. It's true. It's soothing. You have new learning experiences with it every day. Sometimes you leave one cheese to really, truly understand another. Right. Right. (laughs) You graduate. You graduate to more complicated Mm -hmm. cheeses Mm -hmm. and more complicated relationships. One would hope. <laughs> anyway, how did you decide to write the book? You mentioned a book proposal class that you took. How did that help you form the topic? Right. So I took a book proposal class with Diane Jacobs, who wrote um, Will Write for Food. And uh, that was a great book, and I decided I wanted to take the class with her. And the book proposal class just really helped break down my ideas into something that felt more uh, like something I could handle. And when you turn in a, a book proposal, what you do with nonfiction is generally you find an agent and you have a book proposal and you say, would you be interested in seeing my book proposal? This is my idea. Mm-hmm. And the book proposal is um, broken up into a lot of segments, including marketing, uh, promotion, and then you have to talk about your different chapters, you have to do chapter samples, introductions, and it it actually really helps solidify what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. It ends up being anywhere from 15 to 40 pages, but after you have all that done, you have have a good idea of where you're going to go instead of just this nebulous idea, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to write about cheese, and um, I talked with some people about, even publishers, about doing a guide, and what what they were talking about is doing a guide of uh, just cheese in general, and I, I looked around me, and I really saw some great, effective guides already out there, just of cheese in general, and kind of want to narrow my focus onto American cheese. Mm-hmm. So, from there, I just broke it down even further, and I, I guess that was the very beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So, your proposal... Uh, at, proposed the exact book that turned out almost? Um, not exactly. It was definitely an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when it, when it started out becoming a guide, the idea was just to do a general cheese guide. Mm-hmm. But I found that I didn't really think another one like that was necessary. There are some really great ones out there, mm-hmm. and... What I decided to do as I went along further was just to make something that would really have a good sense of humor about it, too, mm-hmm. keep it lighthearted. And working in wine all the time, I saw the dangers of making something almost too romantic or too precious. 
Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep it so that it was very approachable, and that definitely forms my idea of how I wanted to mm-hmm. have a guide like this. Well, you have um, a very where, entertaining voice. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that, especially in the wine world, when you start to think of something as too uh, precious or too serious, right. that sometimes it can be hard for people to become involved in it. Right, And to it feel like it can off. become part of their everyday experience. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even looking at the cover of my book, on the first half of it, they're flying animals. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, which <laughs> it, makes it... It looks like it could be a blankie. It's cute. <laughs> I think there's even a camel. <laughs> oh, that's a goat. It's oh, a rare okay, breed. it just looks like a camel. Okay, okay. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a small hump. It's uh, the goat, it's a profile shot. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I'm looking at it from far away as I speak. Yeah, and- yes, but... Yes, there's opportunity of camel cheese in the future, too. So who knows <laughs> right, what the illustrator's right. intention was. It'll be right next to yak cheese on the shelf. Mm-hmm, <laughs> hmm Anyway, now, you interview so many cheesemakers in the book. What percent did you interview in person? About half of them. There's 48 profiles in there, and I visited about 22 places. Mm-hmm. Now, how many trips so, did that mean? Uh, that meant one to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and um, awesomely enough, there was American Cheese Society conference in Montreal about, I think that was two years ago. Oh, so and you so did it there. To, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was a great Vermont. way to hit a lot of cheesemakers in one place. Exactly. So I, mm-hmm. I was able to go to Vermont, um, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and then I took a separate trip to Wisconsin, a separate trip to Oregon, and then... I guess I took just little small trips around where I live in California because I, I live in Oakland, so mm-hmm. to get to Sonoma or uh, right. Marin, it, it's a pretty direct route. Right, right. You could just take a day trip. Um, so did you have a budget? Did you get time off from another job? Uh, no, on budget. <laughs> I made up a lot of days at work, I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, I work at Solano Cellars about three days a week, uh-huh. and I would... I was working four to five before that and decided to reduce my days to three so I could focus more on writing the book. I'm still at that right now, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're pretty amazing. It's a, there's a wine shop, and I mentioned a little wine bar inside of it. Mm-hmm. So basically, I was able to uh, work my days so that I could take large chunks of time off. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, large chunks is like a week to two weeks, uh-huh. so I, I did a couple of those. And as far as, as budgeting... Yeah, being a, a freelance writer is always a lot of budgeting. Um, I definitely didn't get a budget for the book in particular, but I, I worked a lot for my advance. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did so you... it basically came from my pocket. But it was, you know, it's a fun thing to spend money on. I can't complain That's about going to Vermont and tasting cheese. <laughs> That's true. Now, being based in California, I was wondering, mm-hmm. how did you go about finding the smaller cheesemakers in other parts of the country, did um, did you already know about them? Did other people lead you to them? It was a big mix. Mm-hmm. I had been uh, tasting a lot of cheese. I mean, I, I've been doing, I've been working in cheese where I've been buying cheese at least for about seven years. Mm-hmm. So that that really leads me to go out there and taste all the different types I can. And at the American Cheese Society conference. Uh, you you definitely have that festival cheese at the end where mm-hmm. you get to taste some other ones. And then uh, even smaller producers than that 
I would I would ask my friends in different areas what they liked. I would do a lot of internet research. Mm-hmm. I contacted cheesemakers and had them send me some things. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had a friend in Tennessee and I said, you know, I'd really like to get some more southern cheese in there. That area isn't very represented in my book yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm also looking for a goat smoked cheese that might fit kind of this sort of style. Would you have any that you'd recommend? Mm-hmm. And um, I asked my friend Kathleen Cotter at the Bloomy Rhines a lot. I think was actually on your show a little bit for Southern cheese, for example. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she named some people, and then I taste some samples, and it was a lot of tasting and seeing how people could fit into the different styles and categories. Okay. Now, um, about how long did the research take, and then how long did you have to write the book? It was really, really quick. <laughs> it was wow. So quick. Yeah. I well, the auction was to. Sign the contract, and then you have a year and a half, mm-hmm. or to sign the contract and do it in nine months. Oh. And as a new writer, I was thinking a year and a half. I mean, that would be would be a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I thought nine months. I, I could probably do that. So I said yes. And <laughs> you mean they gave really, you a choice? They gave you a choice, and you picked the short choice. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little glutton for punishment at times. I was like, I can definitely do this. <laughs> And I did it. I mean, I cried a little from time to time. I, I said no imagine. to a lot of events. Sometimes just going to yoga with other people was my socializing for uh-huh. the day. We're breathing together. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so basically, it was nine months uh, from the time I, I signed the contract and from the time that I, I turned in the book. That's and amazing. I did my traveling within that time, my writing. Yeah, it, I had to... I had to be pretty focused, and um, I mean, I had a good editor too. So we talked to, we talked enough ahead of time about what she was expecting, what I was expecting, and I turned in a sample right before she went on maternity leave, mm-hmm. so that I had an idea of uh, what we were doing, mm-hmm. um, that we were both on the same page, so there wouldn't be a lot of rewriting. Mm-hmm. It would be a little bit more clear cut, and that helped the process along a lot. If you were writing a second book, would you pick the short or long uh, choice? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You might do it again. You might do it again. (laughs) I might do it again. I would go for at least a year. I think Uh that would be very helpful. Something in between. Yeah, I mean, you know, adrenaline really does something to you, though. It it keeps keeps things going. It's not always the most inspirational at times. If you get but it keeps things quick. I can imagine. Now, for the whole project, what was the most fun and what was the least fun? Okay, uh, I would have to say talking to the cheesemakers and visiting the farm. Um, that was really great. I, I have so many questions and am really interesting in uh, so many parts of the process and understanding why people make the cheeses that they do. And, and I got to just ask them. And then when I didn't understand, I got to follow up with questions or emails and, and try to get it as spot on as I could. And um, mm-hmm. understanding the inspiration for why people make certain cheeses was, was really great because sometimes inspiration is surprising. Like I didn't start out trying to make this cheese at all, as a matter of fact, and you're like, silly. And they started trying out to make entire and another cheese entirely different and then led them down this path. Or sometimes it was clear cut. Sometimes mm-hmm. they wanted to make something like their family was eating in the Basque country. So 
you should find out the inspiration for all these different cheeses that we had out there. It was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. And what was the um, least fun part or the hardest? hardest? Yeah, I, I would have to say the deadline that I partially imposed on myself. Okay. <laughs> Even though I, you know, I said it was okay. It was also pretty difficult at times. I mean, writing a book, it, it can be pretty lonely because mm-hmm. you have to be able to uh, be in a little bit of seclusion mm-hmm. to force ideas out and, and really have a little bit of, of quiet. Mm-hmm. And I, I would work in, in coffee shops sometimes, but mm-hmm. sometimes you just need silence and as a social person being alone for that many days at a time that it took to get this much of a word count and to get a book of uh, the length that I did was Mm. a little bit difficult to find. Okay. It's time for our break. We're midway through the the show and we're talking to Kirsten Jackson who wrote It's Not You, It's Brie and this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. See you soon. You're listening to Broke Down by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Diane Stemple and the Cutting the Curd book review. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Now you may feel like a stranger, but I know that it won't be long. Cause there ain't no reason to hurry to that other shop. Cause you ain't gonna get nowhere until you know what for. Hi. Diane Stemple, we're back on Cutting the Curd with Kristen Jackson, who wrote It's Not You, It's Brie, Unwrapping America's Unique Culture of Cheese. Welcome back. Uh, So one of my questions is, was it always going to be all America? Would you consider doing another book on international cheese? Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm amazed with what we're doing here. Um, it, it's fabulous and inspiring, and uh, the cheesemakers are terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. But sometimes in order to really uh, understand and um, feel the amazingness of something, you, you kind of have to leave it. And I, I would love to do a look at European cheese or, um, I mean, a, another area of cheese just in, definitely doesn't have to just be Europe, too, that would remove me, and then I could go to another area and kind of fall in love with that cheese and understand the reasoning for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just gives you another deeper level of understanding for another cultures or another people's cheese, and then also for your own, too. You're able to look at it from a different perspective. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's nice to remove yourself from 
something that you're really passionate about. And then when you come back to it, it's kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed, um, your descriptions of the cheese make were really streamlined and simple and similar, meaning you seem to have translated them into your words. So it was very easy to comprehend the differences in the recipes. Did you watch them make cheese? Did you have that idea to write it in your words from the onset? Uh, when I'm talking about the the making process of the cheese itself, yes, yes. When it, like a paragraph or two yeah. of every cheesemaker, you just say, uh-huh. "This is what they started with, and this is what they do." Right. Uh, sometimes I did. Sometimes I was there, and I was able to make watch the whole process mm-hmm. or just part of the process. Uh, and then sometimes I wasn't able to meet their schedule. I mean. Sometimes these guys are up milking at 4 a.m., and then they need to get everything started soon. Mm-hmm. And if I was driving around a certain time, I couldn't get there at 4 right. a.m. And uh, physically, it'd be a little difficult for me to do that, too. Right. But, uh, yeah, so sometimes they just talk me through it. Uh-huh. And then uh, after you go through 48 different cheese profiles, right. you, you kind of learn what, what's the starting point and the ending point, and then you're able to find out the differences. So mm-hmm. that would be where I would ask my most. Uh, more questions and then try to figure out how their cheese was different from the person before. Mm-hmm. It would have been great if I was able to see every cheese make that. That would have been, um, mm-hmm. I would have learned a lot from that for sure. Though I bet, just just a, a weird angle on it, if you had every cheesemaker write a paragraph or two about their make and then had your paragraph or two on it, theirs would be, I think, very different from each other. Just from the words they yeah. would use, but you made it very easy to see the differences because your oh, vocabulary. I'm glad you think that. Yeah, <laughs> because you. your vocabulary was similar, you know, every time. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, definitely a point was to make um, keep it at a, a level where it's easy to understand. I mean, I wanted to show some of the differences in the cheese making so that it wasn't boring and that people would understand that it, it's not all the same ways making it, but to try mm-hmm. to put it at a level where it's like, okay, well, this is the point where they do it different, and so they're not reading the same thing over again, but right, they're, they're right. able to see how this one might turn out. And you didn't um, make it too technical. You didn't make it too technical with pH and minutes and, you know, exact temperatures, which I think was right, right. more accessible for the I reader. Hope it could be helpful, yeah. And another thing is, too, is that uh, that, that changes every season um, when animal's milk is different, too, so I could try to pinpoint a cheese maker down, but they, they resist, too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they have to change it if they will. Okay. Now, some of my big questions about the book. How did you mm-hmm. ever decide what to include? For example, some of, some of them are very obvious, you know, famous American cheeses like Pleasant right. Ridge Reserve and Rogue River Blue, and even Dumbarton is, is pretty well known. But then yeah. some of the Less well-known cheeses for our listeners, uh, Bonnie Clabber Moonshine, Cumberland right. from Sequatchie Cove, and Branched uh, Oak Nettle Gouda from Nebraska. <laughs> now, right. how did you decide? Well, you know, when, you, when um, right after you asked me a question, when a, what was one of the most difficult things about the book, I, I was thinking I, that's one of the things I should have said, ah. <laughs> limiting the, the cheese. Yeah. Um, I, first, I first chose the categories, the 16 distinct categories that I thought 
really helped people understand what was going on in American cheese rather than saying we have this semi-soft category and anything mm-hmm. can go in it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to create categories that seemed to be um, important to cheesemakers and kind of drove what people were making out there and you know, assess what we're eating. And in so doing, I, I had to pick cheeses that um, would fit into those, those categories that people could understand. And when I was doing that, I wanted to make sure that I was able to broadly look to see what people are, are doing and not just focus on the big ones, mm-hmm. but also mention the big ones because they're amazing. Right. I don't mean big by large production, but like, like what you were saying. Right, more famous you know, and, and more accessible yeah. so people could buy them to right. taste what you were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you're, if you're looking at other areas like um, Nebraska, I noticed, hey, you know, I have a lot from Wisconsin. That makes a lot of sense. They should be well represented. They mm-hmm. do a lot. Mm-hmm. Then I was thinking, what do they have out there in Nebraska cheese? Because I'm sure that they have something fantastic that would fit. Mm-hmm. So then, um, then if I don't have a friend in Nebraska, it'd be like, you should try this. Or mm-hmm. if I hadn't come across mm-hmm. something, then I would look up Nebraska artisan cheesemaker guilds or something of that sort, and then do a little bit of research on that level. And we also have some great distributors in. Um, in the San Francisco Bay Area that are taking from some of these smaller producers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was it was a mix of um, just tasting lots of different cheeses from different places and, and really making an effort to represent what the whole of the United States was, mm-hmm. not just areas that I was familiar with because that wouldn't be really reflective of what was going on. In the whole country. And it, yeah, mm-hmm. and, it, and I think... I mean, if you pick up this book and, and you're in Nebraska or you're in Virginia, you, you want to be able to look and, and see what's near you, not just know, oh, hey, I could get the right. famous cheese from California. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you already mm-hmm. know about that cheese. You might. So sometimes you were looking on purpose for a faraway cheese to fit a category just because you wanted to include as many states and areas as possible. Uh, only, you know, yes. And only if it was really good and if it, it fit there well. I mean, sometimes I would think, hey, this I'd really like to have a cheese from uh, Kansas, but it's not going to fit in and represent and mm-hmm. kind of tie in the rest of the book. So, I, you know, I'm going to leave it out, and maybe I'll mention it. If you can't find this one cheese from Wisconsin, definitely try this cheese from Nebraska, something like that, mm-hmm. too. But, yeah, I, I tried to make it cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, there are definitely lots of cheeses that I would have liked to focus on that didn't quite fit in. Mm-hmm. Now, I think another big question is your categories. You mentioned there are 16 mm-hmm. of them, um, which is yeah. more than, I guess, most traditional strict categories like semi-soft, soft, blue. Um, and some of them were big surprises to me, like calling mixed milk a category because it has so many styles. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how you decided uh, the mixed milk car- category or um, the UK influence, what you decided to put in there? Yeah, so um, the styles, I definitely thought about those a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what I chose as the 16 styles, what I thought were the dominant inspirations in mm-hmm. the United States for okay. styles. Um, mm-hmm. The Wara Valley style cheeses, I chose that because that's a pretty big category and people are very influenced by that. Mm-hmm. UK styles, um, people are starting to make a little carefully and 
experiment more with that kind of Welsh style cheeses, mm-hmm. and then cheddar. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's influenced every other category of cheese making, um, cheese equipment, cheese making equipment, all that sort of thing. So I thought that was pretty important to put in there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to touch a little bit on the styles that people were. Um, experimenting with, or I saw really broadening, like mixed milk. And you could completely fit some of those cheeses in other categories, but from doing all the teaching that I was doing, I get questions about these categories a lot, too. Mixed milk. What is a mixed milk? I mean, I I joke around in the book and saying, were the animals just hanging out together? Like, I get that question (laughs) in my class. What, you know, is it it a hybrid animal? Right, "Um, right. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe hanging out, but not a a turducken. (laughs) Yeah, they're not close. Yeah. (laughs) They hang out on occasion. But the thing is, is that um, a lot of the categories, too, it wasn't, well, some of the categories were, what was the inspiration behind them? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to do with that cheese in the kitchen? Um, why are you making it in the Alpine style? Those are kind of inspiring themes. Mm-hmm. And another inspiration for mixed milk, just to narrow in, was that it's a, it's a long history. People are making mixed milks for specific reasons. In, in California, we have a, a great amount of, of cheesemakers. But there isn't always enough milk, and so some people are going to be looking to incorporate sheep's milk cheese, um, sheep's milk into their goat's milk cheese, not always because they thought it would taste good, but because they're like, I don't have enough goat's milk to finish what I wanted to do here. I wonder what else I could do. And then they could talk to their neighbors. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have some extra sheep's milk. Mm-hmm. And so that, it kind of, it's um, It's a collaboration. That to be, yeah, collaboration, mm-hmm. necessity. So it's kind of explaining why people are making cheeses mm-hmm. like that. Too. Now, did you leave a category out? Do you have any regrets? Was there a 17th category? <laughs> 23 categories. <laughs> um, let's see. You know, I, I think I would really have to think on that. Okay. <laughs> There's definitely some categories that, that are going to be changing. I mean, these aren't you know, tried and true and tested as as we keep on making more cheese and evolving, they're, they shift. Mm-hmm, it's, right, you know, it's not right. just up to me to categorize. It's what people do with uh, their cheese. Right. Well, at one point you say some cheeses are just passing through a category having a cup of coffee. Yeah, it's a rest stop. Right. It, you know. That's what they <laughs> next, say in the... Next season, uh, they might be something different. Right. They say that in baseball. If you If you get to the majors and, you know, are playing in one game, you have a cup of coffee. <laughs> anyway, at ACS, at the American Cheese Society meeting, how many of your cheeses entered and how many won? And were you watching them like they were your children? Oh, well, I was definitely interested. Yeah, I was definitely interested. But, um, you know, it's it's a strict it's a strict way of judging, Nick. So mm-hmm. um, you have an aesthetic judge, you have a technical judge. It's, it can be limiting for certain styles of artists and cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if they didn't win, I didn't feel like they weren't as good. But if people won that I wrote about, yeah, that's pretty awesome because mm-hmm. it, it brings you to another another level of attention. Or mm-hmm. you were talking about the Sequatchie Cove Cumberland, and that, that was definitely one that people don't know about. But um, I think the summer, maybe it was, Summer before my book published, it was I think it was after my um, 
my manuscript was already handed in, their Dancing Fern won a first in Farmstead. Oh, great. And then people knew about it, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's definitely helping the farm out. So oh, for sure. That's great. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think winning the award is that important, but it, it, it can do great things for just, you know, breaking even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it feels good for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is cool when someone wins on, on different levels. Okay. Okay, our time is up. I want to thank you, Kirsten, for coming on the show and your wonderful book, It's Not You, It's Brie a good com- contribution to the cheese world. And I also want to thank our engineer today, Joe Galarago. And our next show is in the end of October, and it will feature Gordon Edgar, who wrote Cheesemonger, A Life on the Wedge. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. It's Cutting the Curd, and it's on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.